0: midtown detroit studios of wdet this is detroit today
1: today we're going to talk about detroit's riverfront and the dramatic way it has changed and is changing Mark Wallace, the CEO of the Detroit River Conservancy, will join to talk about what's happening now, especially along the West Riverfront. And Amy McMillan of the Huron-Clinton Metro Parks will join to talk about a new space that will soon open along the Straits. And it's summer. We want to hear from you. How are you using Detroit's riverfront these days? That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. NPR. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. There are so many ways to think about how our city's river and our long riverfront absolutely define who we are around here, but this one has always been my favorite. It's our name itself. Detroit, which of course means straight in French. It's a reminder that Detroit is the river, literally. And the riverfront has long been intertwined. With Detroit's identity and its growth, from its early days as an important port along the Great Lakes to its pivotal role in the auto industry broom, uh, our, our riverfront has been central to the city's triumphs. But as we've discussed on the show before, Detroit and Michigan generally face a stagnating population. And so you wonder whether Detroit's riverfront could potentially be a key again, to helping to revitalize the city and the region. For so many cities and countries around the world, riverfront spaces serve as really vital parts of their identities and communities, and they are the reason that people want to live there. It's the reason that some places continue to grow. But what is the mix of success that makes that happen? And... How are we doing with that here in Detroit? I say this all the time, and I'm going to say it again. There's no space in Detroit that has changed more in my lifetime than the riverfront. It doesn't look or feel anything like it did when I was a kid here growing up in the 1970s and 80s. And of course, for my kids who've grown up over the last decade or so in Detroit... The riverfront is a critical, key public space, and they don't know it any differently. But what does all of that really mean for Detroit itself? What does it mean for our efforts to grow again? A little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Mark Wallace. He is the president and the CEO of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy. We're going to learn more about the work that the conservancy has undertaken over the past two decades and what is going on now. If you haven't been over to see the changes on the West Riverfront, you really owe yourself a trip there to catch up. But first, to get an idea of how these spaces are utilized in other places around the world, I'm joined by Stefan Gruber. He is the director of the Remaking Cities Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. As a registered architect and researcher, he spent significant time living around the globe exploring how urban centers can thrive. Professor Gruber, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Good morning. Thanks for having me. Mm
1: -hmm. So you heard me talk about how important I feel the riverfront is here in Detroit and how it's changing to become more of a key to our success and our growth. But give us a sense of how similar that is to other places around the world and why waterfronts, riverfronts are so important.
2: Yeah, I think it's um, important that you mention the history. Um, Many cities, uh, in fact, chose uh, where to kind of uh, settle because of proximity to water. Um, And um, they served uh, military purposes or defense purposes. They connected uh, cities to the rest of the world, but they were also essentially... uh, um, Essential for uh, industrial development. And you know, I, I, I live and work in, in Pittsburgh, and uh, Pittsburgh is very much defined uh, uh, by its rivers. Um, but as uh, cities like Pittsburgh and uh, Detroit um, have deindustrialized, uh, uh, there is also an opportunity to kind of redefine uh, their relationship um, to the water and uh rethink uh maybe a relationship that was mostly extractive uh and 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 imagine uh what they can do uh for its citizens um so I think that,
1: yeah go ahead. Oh, go ahead go ahead and finish go ahead
2: well i i think that 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 deindustrialization has kind of opened up a lot of uh spaces along uh rivers uh, in, in in many cities around the world and uh This is why we have actually uh, been uh, observing uh, the kind of reinvention or kind of reclaiming uh, of uh, the the, the riverfronts uh, as public uh, spaces uh, and as spaces that serve um, recreational uh, purposes, uh, but also contribute to the kind of economic uh, uh, vitality of of, of cities. and lastly also uh, important ecological purposes
1: so so let's think of some places that you would point to especially here in the United States that you think have made the most of that shift that you're talking about away from industrialization and and toward uh, a public kind of recreational entertainment space what what places should detroit uh, even though we've come a long way, and and I think now we stand out as an example for other cities. Uh, but but what cities would you point to that that we should still be emulating or or borrowing from?
2: Absolutely. So I, I mean, I think Pittsburgh is a, a fantastic uh, example. And uh, I mean, I actually also spent quite a bit of uh, time with my family along uh, the, the, the the river. Um, I think that, uh, Pittsburgh, um, saw that potential early on and since the 1990s, uh, has placed important civic, uh, facilities, uh, our baseball and, uh, football stadium, the kind of, uh, convention center and, and, and other important institutions, uh, along the river, uh, um, hence, it kind of attracts uh, people to kind of come to the river, but then also linger and, and spend more time. And especially over the last uh, uh, two decades, uh, the city has made uh, a kind of a concerted effort to reclaim uh, uh, some of uh, uh, the the, the riverfronts and made made sure that uh, when developers would come in to build. Uh, apartments or offices that the, the the actual access to the river would be uh, guaranteed, and this uh, access uh, would be available to all uh, residents in the city. Mm. So, so I think that making it actually. Uh, publicly accessible is maybe the, the 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 most important step because if we actually experience uh the 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 river as a as as a, as, a, as a, an important resource uh we also become better stewards uh towards uh the, that 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 environment uh, and care for it i think
1: so so i want to talk about the 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 balance that we still i get i think are challenged to strike along riverfronts in in cities they still are very much uh, drivers of economic activity and you mentioned some ways uh, in your answer about other other riverfronts we should be looking to there 's still the possibility to to build residential areas and commercial and retail and entertainment spaces, but then there is also this drive to preserve public space and here in Detroit it really was about just creating that public space it didn't exist uh, before what is the right way to think about that balance and 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 how we push forward uh, in cities that had not used their their riverfronts in in really productive ways
2: I mean I think that that is always a kind of uh, uh, kind of an act of negotiation. I think some investment is important in order to be able to increase the tax base, uh, but also bring kind of a diversity of uh, users and people uh, to the river. Uh, but at the same time, I think it is key that everyone can enjoy uh The river uh, the waterfront Mm -hmm. uh, and is for instance not forced to consume so you want to be able to uh, enjoy the river and not have to sit uh, in a restaurant and pay for that experience Um, and so i mean i think that's that's where a kind of a careful balance is key uh, and uh, um, many stakeholders need to be part of that negotiation
1: I'm talking with Stefan Gruber. Uh, he is the director of the Remaking Cities Institute at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Uh, we're talking about riverfronts, and in particular, today we're talking about our riverfront here in Detroit. The ways it has changed, the ways it is changing and whether uh, the decisions that we're making down there can help drive the kind of revival that we need here in Detroit. Uh, The population crisis that we have not only in Detroit but in the entire state of Michigan. This challenge that the governor has put out to everyone to think of ways to attract and retain more people here in Michigan. Uh, That riverfront uh, that defines the city of Detroit is a key to that how should we be leveraging it uh, in that in that discussion? But also, just give us a call and let us know how you're using the riverfront these days. It's August. We are two months into summer. Let us know how often you visit Detroit's riverfront. What do you do when you're there? What do you do when you're there that you couldn't do uh, just a few years ago? Think of The rapid pace of change along the riverfront and all of the things that have popped up that we couldn't even have imagined 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, How much do you depend on that access to the river? How much is it about why you stay here or why you moved here in the first place? Uh, would love to hear all of your riverfront stories, including the ones from maybe a long time ago, uh, the industrial part of the river the times when we couldn't have Really great public spaces there. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. A little later, we are going to talk with Mark Wallace, who is the CEO of the Detroit River Conservancy, about all of the work that's going on down there and what we might expect in the next few years. Uh, Stefan, I want to talk about uh, just a little, bit uh, of the future here. What tips do you have for riverfront development? We've come a long way here in Detroit. We've done a lot of things. It is it is night and day, uh, the difference between what the riverfront looks like and feels like now and what it did uh, when I was uh, growing up here. But what are the things we should be thinking about as we keep redeveloping and keep changing it uh, to make sure that we're leveraging it in in the right way?
2: Um, maybe I can share a, a lesson from the the Riverfront uh, redevelopment in Paris, France.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What is what was really beautiful about uh, the transformation of Paris's relationship to its uh, River Seine is that it happened very incrementally. Uh, it used to be mostly a kind of a highway for cars to just kind of move through the city as quickly as possible. Um, and about two decades ago, the city. Um, Started to redefine its relationship, uh, but it didn't do so with a kind of a big master plan, uh, but with very small and uh, inexpensive uh, steps. Um, in fact, the first uh, uh, measure was to close down these streets on the weekend uh, and turn them into a place where, you know, uh, Parisians could walk and cycle, and that turned to be uh, out to be so successful that then they started to kind of expand this, and then they put down some planters and deck chairs, um, and gradually kind of reclaimed more and more of the riverfront. Hmm. Um, The lessons that I think we can learn is that uh, sometimes the best way to start urban transformation is not with big investments, but with very simple steps and see how the community responds, what they like and enjoy and learn from that and then gradually improve it. Uh, I think this is um, a a very promising way also to encourage uh, community participation uh, participation, uh, and make sure that uh, everybody is on board with uh, the change that the city is undergoing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Stefan Gruber, director of the Remaking Cities Institute at Carnegie Mellon. Great to have you here with us uh, on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: When we come back... We're going to be joined by CEO and President of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy, Mark Wallace. He's going to talk about the progress of our city's riverfront and what the plans are for both the immediate and the long-term future. Really cool stuff happening right now along the riverfront to change it. We'll also get to you, our listeners, on the phones and on social 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and you can be part of the program that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
0: WDET brings you news about your neighborhood.
3: WDET plays music from the Motor City.
4: WDET amplifies the voices in our community. WDET is your public radio station.
1: Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined us. I'm especially glad you've joined us because I'm really excited about the topic of today's show. That is our riverfront here in the city of Detroit, the way it has changed, the way it is changing, and what that means for All of us. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and tell us how you're using Detroit's riverfront these days. Maybe you live close by to the riverfront and it's a frequent place that you go for entertainment or recreation. Uh, Maybe it's a place that's a destination for you, a common or current destination. Some place you go frequently from wherever you live for uh, that same kind of recreation and entertainment. Also, give us your memories of Detroit's riverfront. Mine are so vivid because I spent a lot of my childhood living just steps from the riverfront, but it wasn't much of a presence. We didn't go down there because there were so few public spaces. You had to go to Belle Isle to experience the river. Now, of course, from the Belle Isle Bridge almost all the way to the Ambassador, We are experiencing the river in all of these new and exciting ways. Call and tell us what that means for you and how that change affects your life. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter. And hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. I want to welcome a really important voice to the conversation here. Mark Wallace is the president and CEO of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy. Mark, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks so
5: much. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, it's always great to have you here. So let's start with uh, a little bit of history. We're about two decades into the redevelopment, the serious redevelopment of our riverfront. Uh, talk about the Riverfront Conservancy, where it comes from, and how instrumental the formation of an actual organization to manage the riverfront, to manage its development, to plan for its future, how how critical that was to the change that I've been talking about.
5: Well, it's uh, the idea of a Detroit Riverfront that was accessible to the public has been around for almost 200 years. I mean, you can go way back to some of the Earliest mayors of the city. And, and uh, the idea that the waterfront matters to us is something that's been around for a long time. Uh, but it took a long time for these sort of episodic transformations to come together into a cohesive vision. And that really happened in 2003 when the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy was founded. Prior to that, you had some special important things like Gabriel Shard Park and Mount Elliott Park. You had the Joe Louis Arena built on the waterfront. You had Hart Plaza. Uh, You had Aretha Franklin Amphitheater, uh, Shane Park at the time, uh, but they weren't connected. And uh, the idea of connecting those assets, really putting together a a coalition of the willing who could make that happen, (laughs) uh, really started in 2003. Matt Cullen, who's our board chair, was at that point in time pretty early in his career in uh, leading the real estate team at General Motors. And General Motors had purchased the Renaissance Center. And I think this is one of the yeah, most prominent examples of corporate leadership anywhere in the country when General Motors said our investment in the Rensen should inspire other people to come together. The Rensen should not be an island. Uh, it should be connected to these broader assets. And that really kicked off this idea of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy uh, leading this effort. Um, we brought together the city of Detroit uh, who had acquired a lot of the property for casinos at the time. Mm-hmm. Casinos went elsewhere and that opened up the opportunity for those casino sites to turn into parks and trails. Uh, And then the Kresge Foundation made a $50 million commitment. It was the biggest commitment that they had ever made in the history of the organization, which is almost 100 years old now. Uh, And that really, those three partners, public, private, and philanthropic came together and catalyzed this idea which we have been banging on for 20 years ever since then.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so um that that turning point uh is is really critical and that turning point being the Rensen and the change in ownership of the Rensen I think is is that sort of leverage point where I think everybody's outlook and perspective on things really changed and i want to tell a really quick story about how critical the rensen is for me in the story of the riverfront when i was about 5 or 6 uh, they took us on a field trip in mm-hmm. school down to watch the construction of the rensen wow. and we stood on the roof at cobo hall and watched these mm-hmm. uh, massive cranes i mean the, the construction of the rensen was a spectacle i i, I just mm-hmm. remember how big a deal that was. And someone from the city was there and was talking to us about why we were doing it and what it meant. And Mm -hmm. I remember her saying really clearly, this is the turning point for the city of Detroit. Everything has been getting pretty bad for a long time. This is the point where things get better. Uh, And of course, that was why it was called the Renaissance Mm -hmm. Center but then it opens right and it is the way it was constructed yes uh it's on the other side of jefferson from almost everything else downtown it has these giant uh air conditioning condenser mm-hmm. units out in front so you cannot even see the structure from the street and critically on the backside where you had ballrooms where you had yep. all of these things inside there was not a single window. Right. You couldn't see the water. Yeah. And it spoke volumes, I think, to the way we have thought poorly, I guess, yes. about the riverfront for a long time, is that we didn't even see it as an asset right. or as a potential asset for something as as pivotal as, yes. as the Rensen. So for GM to have bought the Rensen and made it ground zero for that rethink, I think is is it's it's wonderful historical
5: symmetry. I know it is, and it's amazing because if you look at other buildings that were built around the same time, you have Riverfront Towers, you have Harbor Town, and you have the GM facility. They're all great facilities in their mm-hmm. own ways, and if you are inside those gates, uh, it's a great place to be. <laughs> yeah, but is. if you're inside those gates and you want to be part of the city, you, you feel like you're an island. Mm-hmm. And, and you could frankly be in any city in the country Inside of those perimeters, so General Motors was really the first one to say, "Hey, we're in a city. We want to connect to the city. We want to welcome the city in." And that was a huge investment they made to make that happen. It also, frankly, helped us when we reached out to some of the smaller property owners because you know they'd initially turn to us and say, "No, you can't come through our property. Mm-hmm. You know, it's too dangerous." And we could turn around and say. Well, General Motors, you know, their insurance company got their head <laughs> around it. The Renaissance Center thinks this is a good idea, so uh, these major corporations have made very specific decisions, and that helped us with every other conversation. Yeah, I
1: mean, just the creation of the Winter Garden and that Plaza out yeah. front. Cha- I mean, I had never seen, I had never seen that part of the river yeah. before uh, before that happened. Go the, ahead. The other amazing
5: thing GM did was to give that property to a nonprofit that had only been around for less than twelve months. Uh, That was also radical. And if you go to public plazas anywhere around the country, I I like to beat up on Chicago a little bit because they're doing so well. Uh, But Chase Plaza in Chicago, it feels like a public park. But if Chase wanted to put a fence around it and not let anybody in, they could. That belongs to the corporation. Um, The the General Motors said this public space should belong to the public. And the vehicle for that being owned by the public will be the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy. (laughs) So as long as we maintain it, as long as we keep it safe, and as long as we stay a nonprofit, This will always belong to the people of Detroit through this nonprofit organization.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to talk, uh, of course, about the things that are going on. We're at a pretty... I think, uh, critical stage in the development of uh, the riverfront under the conservancy right now. But before we do that, I want to take a call. And again, 313-577-1019 is for anyone who wants to join. But I think this is a pretty uh, relevant call to what we're talking about right now. Harriet in Detroit. Harriet, go ahead. Okay.
6: can you hear me now? I I sure can. Okay. Mm -hmm. good morning. And thank you, Mark, for being here as well. I wrote the first grant with many other people, <laughs> when you use an I, it's always a we, right. that got started the Riverfront Walk. It basically came under Leon Atchison and Coleman Young. Mm-hmm. And the state of Michigan, the Coastal Zone Management Program, basically, there was someone up there who really thought that they could help Detroit. And we wrote it to say that we needed to have a river walk and we looked at the different parks and we looked at it. My own personal, like you go into your childhood. Was walking down here when I moved into Lafayette Park in the 60s, the Mm. late 60s, when Lafayette Park opened with my daughter. Came down to the riverfront through the smoky, dirty, abandoned houses and sneezed. I remember that because the (laughs) cement silos were there. (laughs) Ten years later, I was lucky enough to be able to start working on it. The public-private conservancy, Faye Nelson, Mark Wakeup, the people who started it, the GM people, really did make a difference because we wanted to do things. We knew we had to make the connections. We knew we had to start the parks, which were people, places that were for sale. They weren't necessarily the best, but Mm -hmm. the piece across from Shane Park and Shane Park were for sale. The feds had the land and water conservation money. The state came through with coastal zone management. So those people and the individuals, particularly Leon Atchison and Coleman Young, made the difference that now Mark and GM and all the people can make it. I see the riverfront as neutral turf, and that is so important Hmm. for a city like Detroit, where you see people in burkas and belly buttons with stones in them.
0: (laughs) You see children
6: playing, black, white, visitors, citizens, old, new. That makes our city what it can be and what it should be, a place where all people can feel comfortable, grow, and enjoy this resource that is an international one. Yeah. Yeah. We're the only international riverfront of its size, mm-hmm. and I'd like to thank Mark for continuing to recognize the combination we need to have. Mm-hmm. I feel lucky that I've touched it with a lot of other
1: people. I, that's a, I mean, that's a very, that's a very serious touch to have with, uh, with the riverfront. I don't imagine a lot of people. I uh, can claim that, Harry, I really love that you called and, and shared that story with our listeners. Mark, uh, that's, that's going right back to the beginning. Oh, it
5: is. And the work that Harriet did and others, you know, Nettie Seabrooks, Marsha Bruhn, Kate Cool, mm-hmm. John Hardig, um, you know, going right back to Coleman Young. If you read hey, Coleman's autobiography, you will see no, him talk about a vision of bridge to bridge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. is that's the earliest version um, of that that concept that we saw out there. I, uh, Uh, And each one of those individuals had a major role in uh, making this possible. Um, There were a lot of people who were working at the city of Detroit and the planning departments. And a lot of the ideas of connected parks with uh, greenways in between Uh, them and those nodes of strength uh, has really lasted. Uh, The idea of naming the plazas after the streets that lead to the plazas, Mm -hmm. those go back to some of Harriet's earlier work. And that precedes the Riverfront Conservancy by about 10 years. So it's exciting to see those early Concepts really uh, enduring, yeah,
1: yeah, I want to get to a lot more callers. We got a lot of folks, all of them from Detroit, in fact, mm-hmm. who want to talk about uh, the riverfront, but before we do that, I, I do want to talk about what 's going on right now, and especially along the West riverfront, which is kind of the frontier now of uh, yes. of of the development I, I happened to go down. For the first time in a long time, uh, recently, and I got I got a little turned around by how much change there is. It looks really different already.
5: Oh, it's coming along. Um, you know, we've made some great progress to go toward the west, and it's been a, a dream of ours for a long time. And, and we're really lucky. There's so many great families, a lot of kids, a lot of senior citizens who live on the west side of Detroit. And they felt a little left out of the Detroit Riverfront's transformation. And we've told them to be patient. And now we're so excited that such big things are happening over there. We built a boardwalk through Riverfront Towers. So, again, that gated community is now going to be connected into uh, the system of parks and trails on the riverfront. Uh, We're working on a parcel that the DDA owns that connects Riverfront Towers to Ralph C. Wilson, Jr. Centennial Park. And we also just opened, uh, back in May, the Southwest Greenway, which connects Michigan Central – right down to the detroit riverfront and that is a great great trail for a long time any family living in southwest detroit or Corktown, you had to fight with all the traffic on rosa parks you had to get across fort street which is not a fun street to get across (laughs) with all the trucks down there Uh, but this is a great way Uh, it's a fun way and it's an easy way to get from your house down to the riverfront and when ralph wilson park opens uh, next year it is going to be a game changer Um, it's going to be a great place for people to come together great place for recreation and sports, and an amazing place for families. So we're really excited about the progress we're making mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh,
1: I also want to talk just a little about the ways in which uh, the, the redevelopment of the riverfront changes commerce and investment uh, in the uh, immediately adjacent areas. Yeah. And that's the thing that we've seen in some other cities that I think has gone a little faster. I mean, that you know, Mm -hmm. uh, we we still have real challenges with investment here in Detroit. It's it's still harder to do things here than it is other places. But we are starting to see that making the riverfront a a, a gathering space, making it a public space is moving people to move money to make sure that, uh, you know, we develop uh, the the area around it as well.
5: Yeah. Well, The best part of any city is the place where the most people come together and and the most diverse people come together, too. And if you think about trips you've taken or cities you've visited, those are the exciting spots. So for the Riverfront to be that gathering place where everyone feels welcome and everyone comes together has really created value in the adjacent neighborhood. We've seen $2 billion invested since 2003 in the Riverfront District, Um, and we're really proud that $6 million a year goes to city taxes, and that's paying for police officers on the east side, north end, everywhere. Um, So we're excited about that economic development, but I think we've also benefited from the slow pace relative to some of our counterparts Mm -hmm. around the country. Um, Most of my colleagues uh, in other cities are talking a lot about gentrification. They're talking a lot about affordable housing. And frankly, the riverfront has not seen that explosion of economic work because of some of the macro topics here in the city of Detroit. I think that's great uh, because it's meant that we've had (laughs) about 20 years of the riverfront being a place where everyone feels welcome. And we need to lock that into the consciousness of this city. If that ever changes, I should not have this job. I mean, that's the most important thing about what we are doing.
1: So so keeping it public and keeping it from developing in a way that, that keeps people out. I mean, these are things that traders talk about all the time yes. in spaces all over the city. Your sense is that, that the way we're doing the riverfront makes that less likely.
5: Yeah, I think starting with the public and making it so intentionally welcoming. Uh, is really the, the first place, the first the, the way to approach that topic. Um, we are excited to see million-dollar condos come to the riverfront. We think that's important. We want more taxes from the riverfront <laughs> to go to those other neighborhoods. Uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure that everyone who feels welcome today continues to feel welcome. And that really takes intentionality in our staffing, takes intentionality in our community engagement, and it takes intentionality in our programming. We really... We don't want people to feel like they have to come to the riverfront. We want to invite them to the riverfront. Yeah. And that's where our hashtag bring everybody comes from. Bring is, a, is an active word. It means you <laughs> got to do something to bring people down there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I want to get to some more calls, but I want to read some Twitter comments first. First, uh, Dave Gifford and on uh, Twitter, one of the frequent guests here, sometimes on the show, says he wishes there were a few more public restroom options west of the Rensen as well as more retail and dining options. He's also missing some connections to downtown from the riverfront. Huntington Place Jefferson Highway infrastructure cuts it off from downtown. We're still struggling with the fact that Jefferson is essentially a highway um, <laughs> that yep. runs along the riverfront and keeps us from integrating the things that are happening there from the rest of downtown. Is that on the board at some point for discussion? I know anytime we talk about roads and changing roads here, people lose their minds a little bit. (laughs) But this would be something that would, would help integrate what's happening on the riverfront. Uh, into those neighborhoods that are that are right there.
5: No, it is both great questions, and we're going to have a lot more restrooms at Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Centennial Park. So, I think the restroom topic will be addressed uh, very very shortly here. And those connections are so important. Uh, the Dequindre Cut has been, yeah, you know, sort of a highway for people, yeah, you know, pedestrians, mm-hmm. bikers to get down to the waterfront. And recently, we opened up uh, the Dennis Archer Greenway that goes down Joseph Campo Street, um, and you have. Breadless, you have Red Hook Coffee there. Um, You have Empacho, which is my favorite new restaurant in town, uh, making empanadas. Uh, (laughs) Those those families now who live on the east side have great pathways to get to the waterfront. With the Southwest Greenway, we've helped with the west side, but I think there are also – some opportunities we might have uh, you know, closer to 2nd Avenue or closer down Woodward to make it easier for people to get to the water.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start with uh, Belinda in Detroit. Belinda, welcome to the show.
4: Hi. Hi. I am a retiree. I left Detroit when I was 21, moved to Hawaii, lived in Los Angeles, lived in Las Vegas, lived in Florida, hmm. and recently came back home to buy a riverfront property. I love it. I'm walking right now along it. And during the winter, I still leave for the winter, but then I'll just travel around the world. And I've been to Dubai and along their Gulf. It's gorgeous, but it can't touch the Detroit Riverfront.
1: (laughs) That's a great story, Belinda. Uh, Tell me what your favorite part is of the riverfront, or maybe tell me where you are right now and what you're looking at.
4: The Irma Henderson Park because it's a gorgeous flower garden. Yeah. So I choose different parks to walk along, and I do six miles daily. And then on in the afternoon, I go over to Belle Isle and watch the freighters and the ships.
1: Oh my goodness! Wow, Belinda, that's almost like an ad for uh, <laughs> the Detroit Riverfront. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, let's go to Fatima in Detroit. Fatima, welcome to the show.
4: Hi. Thank hey. you for having me. Sure. Um, I've been here for about 10 years, moved out here during undergrad, did my med school training, and I've lived around Lafayette Tower. So I take the Dequinder cut, like, all the time down to the riverfront. It's like one of my escape routes um, from studying, like one of my periods of rest and relax. And I just, I love the riverfront. It's home to me. I've introduced so many family and friends to it, and they just love it, too. So thank you so much for all the work that you guys have been
3: doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, Fatima, really, really love the call and uh, appreciate the thoughts there. Uh, let's go to Ann in Detroit. Ann, welcome to the show.
4: Hi. Hey. Oh, shoot, my phone. Okay. Go ahead, Ann. All right, I'm sorry. I couldn't get it off the speaker for some reason. It seems like I got little gremlins in my phone <laughs> at times. But hi, everybody. I'm hi. so glad to hear the story. This is a wonderful season for new things to happen in Detroit.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, I'm just a, a native river rat. <laughs> so I've <laughs> been here before I was born down in the town and uh, the Lafayette Park area, mm-hmm. down in that, the condos over in that area is where I grew up. So I'm just like, I feel like I'm just a part of this illustrious uh, renaissance. <laughs> I've watched the John Portman building go up and hung out in the out there in the openings, and, you know, I'm just a native of the town, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm also uh, a creative professional, and I'm just hopeful that environment art gets to be a part of the Riverfront's new park that's coming up soon.
1: Yeah,
4: yeah. So I just wanted to put that plug in there for Mark to hear me, because <laughs> I don't know if he's already heard me <laughs> but i have submit, submitted some information to Mari Barra also and it yeah. came over to you guys so i already moved through things pretty rapidly
1: yeah and i I, I really appreciate the call and and that thought uh talk about what uh, is happening on on the west riverfront again
5: no there, there are a lot of things that are coming to through and it was interesting to hear Fatima's note there about the De Quinter Cup being a place of peace. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most exciting things. We've always known that the riverfront is a place where people go for engagement photos and for wedding photos and for graduation photos and family reunions. Um, what we discovered during the pandemic especially is it's a place where people go when they're having really hard times. Uh, it's a place you go when you got to get out of the house. It's a place you can go... Uh, when you're having a really bad day. And just to be close to nature, just to see other people, even if they're strangers, mm-hmm. uh, is a source of resilience. And it's, it's something I think we need to expand our definition of. A lot of times we think of resilience as being able to, to survive a storm or a natural disaster or some sort of economic disruption. But resilience is really about our mental stability, how strong we stay as humans in our hearts and in our minds. And the riverfront really significantly adds to that, especially for our seniors and especially for our families. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. We are going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep Mark Wallace, the CEO of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy with us. We'll also add another voice to the conversation. Amy McMillan is the director of the Huron-Clinton Metro Parks. We are going to get... Detroit's first metro park along the riverfront really soon. We're going to talk about that decision, how that changes not only the riverfront, but also the relationship between Detroit and Huron-Clinton Metro Parks. Also, we'll continue to hear from you guys, the listeners, on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today. I'm on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And thanks for joining us. We've been talking about Detroit's riverfront. All of the dramatic changes that have happened there over the last 20 years in particular and the changes that are still taking place. Mark Wallace, who is the president and CEO of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy, is here with us. I want to introduce another voice to the conversation as well. Amy McMillan is the director of Huron Clinton Metro Parks, and there is something pretty exciting about to happen pretty soon with Metro Parks and the city of Detroit and our Riverfront. Amy, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Thank you so much.
1: So tell me about this decision to open Detroit's first Metro Park on the riverfront next year. Uh, That's pretty quickly. (laughs) Give us a give us a sense of how this is coming together and what that means. This idea of Huron-Clinton Metro Parks, which serve about seven million people a year in other places now coming to the city of Detroit.
3: Oh, where to begin? So, I think the first thing that is incredibly important to say is that all of the hard work, all of the fundraising um is 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 the work of the Riverfront Conservancy and there're many partners in the entire park, right? We are we are a small part of that and we're so extraordinarily grateful to be part of that experience um but everyone else is doing all the hard work and heavy lifting (laughs) um, on making that happen. So I want to make certain that we acknowledge that, you know, the, the Metro parks have never had a, a physical presence in the city of Detroit in our entire history since 1940, when the legislature created the Metro parks Mm -hmm. and it is something that has been this big gaping hole for all of that time. And, over the years, there's been a lot of discussion on our board, really for decades, about how we can have a better presence in the city, how we can really best serve city residents. And um, and that's kind of gone back and forth a lot, We um, but we started this partnership with the Riverfront Conservancy pre-pandemic, I hadn't been here that long actually, um, I came to the Metro Parks in 2018 and mark and um and his board and all of their their partners welcomed us as a programming partner in the extraordinary work that they're doing and you know really they're they're the best people in the world to work with and so as this partnership grew, this relationship grew, and as the um, the design came together for Ralph Wilson, particularly for the um, the water element of the park, we're like, oh, we would really love to be a part of that in some permanent way. And so Mark and his team and and I started this conversation. We wrangled our boards into the conversation and. In December of last year, our board said yes hmm. to the naming opportunity to having a physical presence in this really extraordinary park in, you know, in this amazing city. And um, here we are today.
1: Yeah. I mean, as someone who grew up here, I have to say I have always thought of the metro parks and I've been to to many of the 13 of them over over my lifetime. I've always thought of them as being suburban and being in the suburbs. I mean, there was a kind of suburban uh, sensibility to the idea of Metro Parks. So it's pretty dramatic to think of uh, Metro Parks coming to the city and, and and opening one here. I wonder what you make of, again, that connection, that new connection between Detroiters and Metro Parks.
3: So um, I... I, I did not grow up in, in Detroit, but I am a city girl that's been a big part of my career. I was in the city of Ypsilanti for nine years. I was in um, Genesee County and worked with the city of Flint for nearly 20 years and understand really how important it is to, to make all of those connections to all of the people that we serve. Mm-hmm. And you know we're we're not going to be able to have 5000 acres of of Stony Creek in the middle of any city whether it's Detroit or Sterling Heights and and those properties were really developed deliberately to to have these big huge natural experiences but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be in urban areas right that we should not have a physical presence that we should not be providing programming and our our interpretive department's been doing phenomenal programming with school systems throughout the region, really since the um, the beginning of time, I think. But there is something important about having a physical um, um, presence, of making that investment in that community that we have in, honestly underserved for a really long time, that have provided tax revenue trust mark was talking about that earlier Mm -hmm. that supports the metro parks from from the beginning of time and frankly where is i mean where is a more exciting place to be in the entire region than the city of detroit (laughs) at this time we have been um had more than a little bit of envy about um (laughs) about the opportunity to be there to be perfectly frank with you we were not just missing out from a service perspective but missing out um from this great renaissance of the the city and, and it's just it's it's kind of a dream come true for us and and um we appreciate so much the welcome that we've we've had as we've really fo- refocused on on service throughout the region
1: yeah yeah uh, i want to go uh, back to the phones here really quickly we're going to run out of time of course uh, but uh, jack in boston edison jack i really want to take your oh. question go ahead
0: hi um I've been here for 50 years. And in that time, after they built Cobo Hall, down on the river, they had ethnic festivals. Different ethnic groups in Detroit would come down on a weekend, and they would serve their food. And they would have various things that they could um, share with the public and Mm -hmm. tell souvenirs and things like that that were appropriate for them. And I thought those were wonderful. And then when they decided to build Hart Plaza, they said that they were going to have areas inside Hart Plaza for the ethnic festivals. But once it got built, instead of having the volunteer groups come down, they had restaurants move into Mm -hmm. the area. Yeah. And it's I changed. we lost something there. Yeah,
1: Jack, I I, I, really, I don't need to cut you off, but we're going to run out of time, and I want to give Mark a chance to, to answer that. Uh, Mark, we've got about two minutes left. But go no, ahead. That's
5: a great topic, and it's something I think we should collectively be thinking about. Har Plaza is part of the city's uh, park assets, but um, everyone talks about those ethnic festivals mm-hmm. that preceded my time, <laughs> but I think there's something there that we could build on. So, Jack, I appreciate that note.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um Amy uh, again we're going to run out of time pretty quickly here but I do want to talk ha- have you talked just a little about the future and whether this uh this new park is the opportunity to maybe do more with here on Clinton Metro Parks in Detroit Thank you so much
3: i think that you know this the sky is the limit as regards um our investment in in this new park our participation in the work that's going on there we just finished the first year of um, a supplemental science program with dpscd that i will send you the the link to the video that was really extraordinary we're looking forward to expanding that um Speaking of festivals, we were a sponsor of the JIT Festival in the city this Mm -hmm, weekend. That mm -hmm. was really well received. (laughs) And so there are so many great opportunities with community partners. The Riverfront Conservancy does such a great job of connecting to the community. Um, So I can't wait to see what we do next.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, quickly, uh, Mark, we've got a caller who was asking about the fountains out in front of the Rensen, I have this unbelievable picture that is uh, in lots of places on my phones and stuff uh, of my kids as little kids mm. dancing in that fountain. Um, is it gone?
5: Now, the the fountain is still there. It's not <laughs> functional right now, not operation in operations right now, I should say. Uh, but again, that's one of the things General Motors, when, when when that fountain was first built, it was intended to be more of a piece of architecture than <laughs> a fountain for kids. Yeah, and right. what, what GM discovered is that the kids were playing in it. They, they thought it was for them. So um, GM did an amazing thing, changed the entire plumbing system so they could treat the water. Um, but they have not been operating that for a couple of years, and I'm not sure exactly why.
1: We'll we'll find out. But uh, the future, of course, does look pretty bright along the riverfront. And uh, thanks to all of the work that you and everybody else is uh, doing down there. Mark, thanks for being here with us on Detroit Today as well.
5: Uh, Thanks so much for having
1: me. Also, Amy McMillan of the Huron-Clinton Metro Parks. We will see you next year along the riverfront. All right. Absolutely. That's, yeah. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to take a look at Michigan's new budget and its funding for prosecutors, indigent defense, and our schools. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. will talk again tomorrow.